What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are, of course, a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. It's a pretty big day for us here on the baseball side of the company at Sports Ethos. We have launched our draft guide, and pieces are going to be added to it over the course of the next week. We have a ton of content over there. Not all of it is live, like I said, but the stuff that is live, we get some pretty cool stuff. Andrew DeSegli, we have a few pieces from him. He is one of our newest writers. We have players to target after pick 200. We have upside prospects. We have dynasty content that is live right now as well. There is so much stuff that is going to be unveiled over the next couple of weeks. Uh, you guys really just have to check it out because I could spend an entire podcast or more just talking about all the stuff that the guys have in the works and the pieces that they've submitted already. It is great content. You guys need to be checking it out and following at Ethos Fantasy BB. That's why I've been saying it all offseason. Probably been driving you guys up the wall. Follow Ethos Fantasy BB. Follow Ethos Fantasy BB. This is why, because our content is going to start coming out there pretty regularly. My goal is to have articles hitting the site every single day or at least most days, five or six times a week to go along with the multiple podcasts that we have going on. We're forming the basis for a very nice little baseball division here, and I hope you guys will come along for the ride. Check out these pieces. They are at sportsethos.com, and they will be shared out tonight and tomorrow morning as well. And I mean, all the new stuff will be shared out on Ethos Fantasy BB, but that's where you can get the direct links to these articles, these fantastic articles and ranking lists that Andrew and the rest of the guys have put together. <clears throat> Today, we are going to be taking a look at outfielders again. We have taken, I mean, I wish... I've. I mean, this is my first off-season doing content. You guys know this. My first year doing content, which we're about to hit the 365 days on that next month. I wish I had plotted out the off-season a little bit differently. Uh, I wish I did the ranking shows all grouped together. And I'm going to do that with starting pitching. Um, but for the sake of what we've done so far, it's kind of bounced around a little bit here and there between team previews and rankings and mock drafts. So my apologies for the lack of relative lack of coordination there. The, the shows are all still in your feed, uh, but next year I do want to be a little more organized with the way I do it. Do all the outfield shows and then do all the team preview shows. You know, keep it all together. We're going to do that next year. Um, but you guys can go back and you can check out the show from Friday, which was our first part of these outfield rankings. Monday, which was yesterday, we did a preview for the Brewers with James Anderson. That one is in your feeds. It was also live. You can check it out on our YouTube and on Twitter. But we're back to outfield rankings today. If you guys missed the first part of the show and you don't want to go back and hear it, I recommend you do. But if you don't, here's the way I had my top 15. Ronald Acuna Jr., Kyle Tucker, Julio Rodriguez, Aaron Judge, Jordan Alvarez rounding out the top five. <clears throat> Fernando Tatis at six, Mookie Betts, Juan Soto, Mike Trout, and then Michael Harris at 10. Randy Arozarena at 11. Uh, Cedric Mullins at 12, Kyle Schorber 13. George Springer at 14, and Teoscar Hernandez at 15. That is how we rounded out the top 15. We're going to do another 15 names today, get us to 30, and then our last show for Outfield, which will be on Friday, we'll round out the top 50. Tomorrow, I'm going to be talking with Carlos Marcano. We're going to do a Oakland A's preview, and on Thursday evening, we're going to be doing a live uh, San Francisco Giants preview with Casey Bubba and Justin Mason. That one will be a lot of fun. Make sure you guys are subscribing to our YouTube channel as well. We're going to be doing a lot of live videos there on the baseball side. There's already a ton of basketball videos over there, so what are you doing? Go ahead and check them out now. Hit the subscribe button. We really appreciate that. But we're going to pick it up here with number 16 on my outfielder list. Someone who is very tricky to rank. We've talked about him a little bit here and there. Uh, we talked about him on the White Sox preview with our good friend Mike Carter a couple weeks back. 
It's Luis Robert. I have him at number 16, and I think that that's pretty reasonable. He's number 14 based on ADP. He's going just inside the top 50. I'm looking at the most recent, uh, well, it's actually 68 drafts now when you filter back to the beginning of January, but that gives you a decent little sample size of what the high-stakes players are doing. Looking at draft champions, it's pretty close to what you're going to see. Not exactly the same, but pretty close to what you're going to see once main event season starts to roll around. And just looking at these uh, draft picks here, Someone took Juan Soto second overall in a draft. That's that's a little ballsy. Uh, I wouldn't personally do it, but it's interesting. Uh, we're going back to January 1st, so you will see, you know, like I said, 68 drafts. You'll see a couple of outliers here and there. Uh, Kyle Tucker also went second in a draft. I like that a lot more than Juan Soto. But with Luis Robert here, I have him at number 16. He could potentially finish as a first-round player this season, and that could be said for him whenever he does eventually play a healthy season. Uh, it's just a matter of my skepticism that it will be this year. And it, it's really hard to, to nail down. Uh, he's just dealt with so many injuries over the last couple of seasons that it's hard for me to look at these projections and say that I agree with them. Zips has him for 104 games. I like that one. I, I you know Generally, uh, Zips is not my favorite projection system. I tend to go more with the bat, the bat X and ATC. Not really huge on Steamer and on Zips, but here I agree with them. The lower end of the games played... Uh, spectrum should be looked at for Robert as more likely than what you're seeing from, you know, the Fangraphs depth chart or from the Zip step chart or from the Bat X even, which is calling for anywhere from 127 to 140 games. I don't think we can project him for that. You know, projections are 50th percentile by nature. I don't think his 50th percentile outcome is 140 games. I think that's pretty close to 100th percentile outcome. And if he does reach that, you know, these projections are probably pretty accurate. 24 dingers, 92 RBIs, 18 steals, a 273 batting average. Can't forget, you know, he is a 290 career hitter, despite the fact that it's only come over 222 games. The guy hits for a good batting average. He gives you five categories worth of production in a very good lineup. So I do think that this is a reasonable ranking. You could make the argument to have him several spots higher. You can make the argument to have him top 10 based on the upside alone. But I think number 16 feels pretty correct in terms of where we can expect Luis Robert to finish realistically when looking at the uh, with the risk that you have with injury for him there. I think if he plays 120 games, you'd be looking at that as pretty much pretty close to a best-case scenario. He's never once played over 100 games. This past season, 98. It was his most that he'd ever played. So... I think we have to keep our expectations in check while also acknowledging that there is huge upside with Lou Bob. I like him, but I like him at number 16 here. I wouldn't really want to be taking him ahead of ADP, which is already a little bit high. I don't like the ADP very much, just inside the top 50. There are guys that I think you can trust a little bit more who are going outside. And even if you're going for you know, a lesser player, uh, you, know, you could be going for somebody who is probably not going to be as good, guys we'll talk about later on down the list, um, but they, are, they have a safer floor. They have... Maybe not the same upside as Lou Bob, but you're not going to be sweating every single day checking your your app, whether it's Yahoo or whatever, to see if there's an injury or if there's a game time decision or whatever it is, uh, day-to-day, whatever it is. Uh, you're not really going to have that risk with other players like you potentially will with Lou Bob. So I have him at 16. I feel pretty good about that, but I also acknowledge there is room for interpretation there with a guy who we don't really know uh, what he can be exactly. <clears throat> Next up, I have Adelise Garcia at number 17. One spot behind Lou Bob in terms of the outfield ADP. He is going about 10 picks behind him. These two, I think, are pretty close <clears throat> in terms of what you're going to get from Adelise Garcia. It's pretty close to, like, best-case scenario for um, Luis Robert with a lower batting average. You're only going to get probably a 240-ish batting average, maybe even a little bit lower from Garcia. 
where with Lou Bob, you're you know likely to see, even if it's a shorter amount of games, you're going to see a higher batting average. Now, people are still generally a little bit low on Adelise, considering where he is going, 15th outfielder. The last two seasons, he's been incredible. And there was the narrative after 2021 that it was kind of a flash in the pan. It wasn't going to happen again. He had a better fantasy season in 2022 than he did in 2021. The only thing where he had lesser stats was in home runs. Poorly phrased there. My apologies. Uh, He went from 31 homers down to 27. But he had 11 more runs. He had 11 more RBIs. He had nine more steals, and he boosted his batting average seven points, which, okay, seven points, whatever. But we saw increases in his production across the board. People are still fading him. I like the lineup. I like what he does. He should be able to give you a 25-20 season. Not the greatest batting average, but I think the floor has been established as being fairly high for Adelise Garcia, despite the worries of the community still. I don't really know that they are warranted. I think that we're pretty safe to expect him to play in a lot of games, give you close to 600 plate appearances like we've seen the last couple of seasons. And, you know, I've said it a lot this offseason. Past health is not an indicator of future health. But when you're looking at somebody who has played 150 games in multiple seasons, 149 and 156, you're going to be probably a little more confident projecting those games than, say, you would for a Lou Bob. I think for me, the reason why I have Lou Bob one spot higher is that upside. If he does not get hurt, then he will almost certainly finish ahead of Adelise Garcia. But I do think that the floor is just a little bit safer with Adelise. You don't have so many worries when you're setting your lineups every single day. <clears throat> I think you could realistically rank him higher than Lou Bob, depending on your ability or your willingness to take risks. Uh, but I'm pretty comfortable having him here at number 17. Now, number 18 is a personal favorite of mine who was very disappointing last year, and that's Tyler O'Neill. I had big expectations coming off of 2021. He had 34 homers that year. He drove in 80 runs. He had 89, um, or excuse me, he had 89 runs. He drove in 80. Uh, he had 15 steals, and he batted 286. This past season was not very good. 96 games, he had 14 homers, 14 steals. He batted 228. The batting average was the huge thing. He was also injured. He missed quite a bit of time uh, appearing in less than 100 games. But while he was out there in those 96 games, you know, despite the low batting average, he gave you 14 homers and 14 steals. You prorate that over a whole season. My math is terrible, but you're looking at upwards of a 2020 season from Tyler O'Neill. Will we see a 2020 season? I'm not sure. I would bank more on the power coming back as opposed to the speed really bumping up too much. But with these new stolen base rules, and I saw a couple people tweeting today who are you know on the fields as – I'm not even sure. I don't think spring training's actually opened up yet. I think it's World Baseball Classic something or other. I'm not really sure exactly what's going on. I didn't pay too close attention, but there's pictures of the new bases. They're looking substantially bigger than the old bases. So we will probably see, the more I think about it, a couple more steals from these guys that, you know, and I, and I said this before on another podcast that you're not going to see a zero steal guy turn into a 20 steal guy. That's not what these rules are going to do. But a guy like O'Neill, who's already shown mid teen steal potential, could very well get the 20 steals because of those rule changes. So it wouldn't shock me to see him give you 25 and 20. In that lineup, we know there are going to be a hell of a lot of counting stats, one of the better lineups in baseball. And in terms of the batting average, it's really hard to tell what's going to happen with him. His BABIPs have bounced all over the place, and so have his batting averages in the major leagues. Granted, we're not talking massive sample sizes outside of 2021, but we're looking at you know 254 in his rookie season, which was 60 games, and then up to 262, down to 173 in the short year, up to 286, down to 228. Hard to project really what he's going to do for you, but probably in the 250-260 neighborhood with the potential for even more. Uh, you know, Like we said, 25 and 20 is in the cards for him. And I think he's being a little bit undervalued. He is priced as the 24th outfielder off the board. I currently have him at 18. And again, like I've said with all these rankings, there is potential until they're actually 
put up on the site, and even once they're put up on the site, they could potentially be changed because until opening day starts, you don't really know what's going to happen. There could be some reports of the spring training that make you move some things around. Guy goes up one spot, guy goes down two spots, whatever. But I feel pretty comfortable having Tyler O'Neill here as my number 18 outfielder. Now, number 19 is somebody that I, you know, there's a couple of couple of things here with him. It's Brian Reynolds, first of all. I don't know why they didn't trade him. I think that they probably should have, and maybe they still do, um, but I just don't know if he really fits into their plans necessarily. He's only 27 years, or has he turned 28 yet? No, sorry, he turned 28 uh, last month. I don't know that he fits into their long-term plans, and it probably makes more sense to trade him. And if he is traded, Brian Reynolds, it would probably boost his value because he's in one of the worst potential places for your counting stats. But everything else with him, I think, is is fairly secure. You're going to get your 20 to 25 homers. You're going to have – it's not going to be great counting stats, but he's going to be batting in the middle of the order. So you're probably going to see, you know, is it going to be what it was in 2021? Probably a little bit too high there, 93 runs and 90 ribbies. Uh, this past season was 74 and 62. I think the what they're projecting, which is about 85 and 78, feels very correct to go along with 25 home runs, 24 home runs, depending on where you're looking and a pretty good batting average in the 270 range. I am hoping for a trade. You know, if he does get traded somewhere, it would be to be an everyday player. It wouldn't matter even if he goes somewhere else and bats sixth just because he's in Pittsburgh. There's really not much going on in that lineup, and maybe that does factor into it for me a little bit. I don't expect him to be there for that long. And, you know, if he does get traded, then we'll have to reevaluate these rankings, probably move him up one or two spots, depending on the location, of course. <clears throat> he could get traded somewhere with a you know, terrible ballpark potentially. Uh, still, I don't think there's any worse place you could be in. Maybe Washington and Oakland. Right? That's, there's really not many worse situations that he could be in. We know what he is after these last couple of seasons. He's going to give you mid-20s dingers. He's going to steal a couple bases for you with the potential to hit for a very good batting average. He could hit 300. He probably won't, but it is within the range of outcomes for him. Probably looking in the 270 kind of range for Brian Reynolds. But I feel pretty confident projecting 150 games, 25 dingers, 170 runs in RBIs, about six steals, and a 270 batting average, which is very, very solid. You could make an argument to put him ahead of Tyler O'Neill because of you know last year went better for Reynolds than it did for O'Neill. I know we tend to skew value when you're looking at these things to weight the stuff that happened more recently, uh, more greatly in your rankings or, or projections. I think you guys know what I mean. Even though I'm stuttering over my words today, I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, I, you could you could make the case for Reynolds over Tyler O'Neill, but I feel I feel pretty good about the way that these guys are arranged here. Lou Bob at 16, Adelise at 17, Tyler O'Neill at 18, and Brian Reynolds at 19. Again, we're talking a pretty similar range here. I know a lot of people disagree on Luis Robert and think he's in another tier, but I think when you factor in the injury risk, uh, these guys all do kind of account for a similar tier, similar range of players. And it kind of continues on with the next guy I'm going to talk about, <clears throat> Dalton Varsho. I think he is generally in this same kind of range. And, you know, he is much farther down on this list than you'll see him on ADP list. He is 12th based on ADP in the NFBC. I have a number 20. And it's a couple reasons. One, he has moved up a lot by ADP because he is a catcher. When you just look at strictly his ranking among outfielders, how he would perform if you were to remove that catcher designation, essentially, this is about where I think he belongs. Uh, you know, he's going to a better probably team, not not probably better team. I'm looking at the entire situation. It's probably better for him. There's going to be a better lineup around him. The ballpark difference is fairly negligible, I think, especially with these changes that the Rogers Center is making. I'm not really sure how big of an impact that's going to have. But I don't think that we're going to see a drastic change in the home runs. Like I've heard a couple people say he might, you know, 
jump up or down. I've heard different takes on his home runs, depending on who you ask. Uh, they're going to go down because of the Rogers Center. They're going to go in because of the different changes that they're making to the Rogers Center. It's not as nice of a park as uh, Chase Field in Arizona. So I've heard a lot of different takes. I don't think the home runs are going to change that much. You're probably going to see somewhere in the mid-20s. Um, I'm worried about the steals a little bit. I don't know if he is a 16-steal guy. Projections have him a little bit lower, and I would tend to agree. I think that he's probably more of like a 10 to 12 steal guy. Uh, counting stats are good. Average sucks, and the average is going to probably continue to suck next season. I don't think it'll change that much. The projections have him going up ever so slightly, maybe 10 points at most. Um, but this is pretty much where I think he belongs when you remove the catcher designation. Obviously, he's a top 40 pick. And these NFBC drafts, they're also two catcher leagues. It's a little bit different. It skews your, your value in general. But I do think that he is probably being a little bit overvalued, especially if you're talking a single catcher league. <clears throat> I'm, I'm not really there on Varsho, and specifically when you're looking at just outfield rankings. As much as I like him because he's a Blue Jay and <clears throat> I want to push him up more because he's on my team, I can't really do that just because he's on my team. As much of a homer as I am, I don't know that Dalton Varsho is really going to take a bigger step forward than we saw last year. I think that might be close to as good as we see from him uh, in terms of a fantasy season. It was really fantastic. 27 homers, 16 steals. Down the stretch in your head-to-head playoffs, he was fantastic. He helped me win my home league. I just don't know if it's necessarily going to carry over the way we are expecting it to. So obviously with catcher rankings, it's very different. He's my number two catcher. But in terms of outfielders, I think 20 is fairly reasonable for Dalton Varsho. You could even make an argument, if you look at guys going <laughs> below him, that he should be a little bit lower. And I'm not going to put him lower. I think, if anything, maybe he goes one or two spots higher. I could make an argument for him ahead of Brian Reynolds or ahead of Tyler O'Neill. Uh, but I think number 20 feels generally correct when we're talking about Dalton Varsho here. He is going to lose that catcher eligibility, most likely, uh, specifically in the NFBC, where he needs to have 20 appearances. I don't really see him playing there 20 times. I could see him maintaining it on Yahoo, where he is going to, you know, if he plays five times, I believe he maintains the eligibility. If Alejandro Kirk or somebody goes down or, you know, give them some days off, uh, Danny Jansen needs a day off or whatever, I think we could see him probably get five catcher appearances. But we're probably not going to see 20. We're going to see that ADP go down next season, regardless of what he does. So, I mean, that's nothing for this season, but just something for you dynasty players to keep in mind. Dalton Varsho's value is going to be going down next season. So just something to remember uh, when you're making trades or when you're doing your startup drafts or whatever it is. Just just remember that. Uh, let's move on, though. We'll talk about number 21 here, Eloy Jimenez. And he's going to be a helium guy. You can already tell he's going to be a helium guy the way that people in the community are talking him up. <clears throat> Mike Kerland, who was here a couple weeks ago talking Marlins, I know he is a big Eloy guy. I'm, I'm skeptical, and there's a lot of the same reasons with Luis Robert. He hasn't played over 100 games since his rookie year, which was 2019. Big power numbers we saw in 2019 from him, which we saw big power numbers from everybody in 2019. Uh, 31 homers in 122 games. You see that, you think he's a 40 home run guy. And potentially, could he be? Yeah. Um, but we saw those numbers really big, first of all, because of 2019 and the fact that the ball was different, but also because he actually played that year, and we haven't seen that from him since the last three seasons. 2020, you can't hold it against him. He played in 55 out of 60 games. That's fantastic, and he had a great year. Uh, these last two seasons, we're looking at 55 games and 84 games. You can't really look at him and look at these projections and take him seriously for games played. Again, I have to side with Zips here, who have him at 110 games where the other projections have him anywhere from 136 to 141. That's a best-case scenario. That's not 50th percentile. That is the absolute best-case scenario, Eloy Jimenez, playing 135 games. 
And, you know, there's there's the fact that he is probably not going to be playing the outfield much this year. They have told him, and I don't even know if it's serious or if it's more of a joke or whatever, uh, to not even bring your glove. Don't even show up with a glove. You're going to be a DH every single time. We know that he is a bit of a bonehead. He has done some kind of stupid things. We Last year, jumping over that wall in spring training, or did he jump into the wall now? I can't even remember. There's been a couple of incidents with him getting hurt where he didn't really need to. Just because he's not in the field, it might mitigate that risk. It doesn't fully remove it. And I still think that when you look at these projections, they are a little bit lofty, and specifically in terms of games played. The production, I could see him getting you know, 24 to 30 home runs if he's healthy, I just and the projections are banking on him being healthy. They're not banking on him missing a bunch of time. I mean, Zips is expecting him to miss 52 games, which feels pretty reasonable. Even they've got him for 23 homers. So the power is pretty legit, I think. But there is the fact that 2019 kind of skews things and the fact that he's never healthy for me. That would lead me to push him down a little bit beyond where the consensus is drafting him, which is the 19th outfielder. Not crazy pushing him down or anything. I have him at 21. I just don't feel as comfortable with him as I do with any of the 20 guys going above him. I just, uh, there's something about him and Lou Bob. They need to prove it to me first, and then I will draft them more so next year. The price is not terrible on him. He's going around pick 80 in these most recent drafts. But you could get behind, you know, specifically in a 12-teamer, I could get behind it. But in a 15-teamer, five outfielder, uh, outfielders are going to go quicker. So it may even end up going higher than that. I think he will have more helium. And his minimum pick is 60. When you're looking at these last couple of month and a half, I guess, of drafts, uh, people are taking them fairly high. Like, that's the end of the fourth round there. That's, That's a little too high for me. I like him, but I need to see him prove it to me for a whole season before I'm willing to invest the top 100 pick in him at this point. Next up, we have Starling Marte, and I'm he's another one who is a little bit tricky to nail down and to rank. I'm pretty close with where they have him in consensus. Uh, he is the 20th guy. I shouldn't say consensus, but based on ADP, uh, he is the 20th outfielder. I have him at 22. I originally had him at 23, and then I flip-flopped him with a guy who is just below him who we'll talk about in a second. Um, I find Starling Marte a little bit hard to figure out exactly what we're going to see out of him. Uh, I think the steals are going to probably bounce back a little bit. <clears throat> are we going to see 47 again like we thought, like we did in 2021? Absolutely not. That was a crazy outlier for him. <clears throat> and if you look at the games played in 2021, it was 120. And he somehow managed to steal 47 bases. This past season, he played 118 games. He stole 18 bases. He had more power, four more home runs. Uh, but generally, it probably wasn't exactly what you were expecting from Starling Marte. He still had value, uh, but he missed some time. Uh, the steals did drastically go down, which was a huge part of the value. But he kept the batting average up. He's in a good lineup. I feel pretty good about him. He's just not somebody that I'm really drafting with confidence necessarily, which is why he's a couple spots below uh, the ADP number for me. Not That's not because of it, just when you're putting your rankings together. I tried to avoid ADP and then look at it afterwards to reference and I feel pretty good about having him a couple of spots below where people are generally drafting him. You know, there's some talk about he might be injured to start the season. Um, you know, I, I mean, he's expected to be ready, but I've also heard some reports that he might not be fully there. I think it's the shoulder. Uh, there was a report from today from Rotowire that he's expected to be ready, but there is that concern already before the season's even started that, you know, you're expected to be ready. That might end up being two weeks. It could end up being a month. And maybe he is ready for opening day. I don't know. Uh, but there is some risk there. He is 34 years old. So no, I think the steals will bounce back, partly because of the rules, partly because you know I do expect him to be a little bit healthier than he's been these last couple of seasons. But I don't think we're going to see crazy numbers, probably in the mid-20s to go along with low teens, homers, 
probably looking at 160 or so runs and RBIs. Probably that might be a little bit on the higher end, probably 150 ish. And he's going to give you a pretty solid batting average like he always has. Uh, no real massive concerns other than the fact that he might miss opening day. Uh, and if that's the case, then you might be getting yourself into some trouble drafting somebody who's <clears throat> expected to be ready but may not 100% be ready. It's very tricky. And, you know, I don't, I don't like ever drafting injured players. Not to say that he is an injured player, but he is an older player. And when I said a minute ago, I don't really have many concerns. I do have concerns. Uh, I misspoke. There are concerns to be had with Marte. Uh, I like him fine. I think the ADP is probably a little bit rich at 80. I don't really like him there. I would rather wait a couple rounds or even just a round, go for Brian Reynolds, Tyler O'Neill, a couple guys that I do like better who are going beyond him. So Marte, there is potential for, you know, a top 30, 25 fantasy season. If everything goes correct, he bats 300, which is very much possible. It could almost be expected that he's going to give you 280 or 290. I'm just a little bit worried about the body. I'm worried about what we're going to see from him in general over the course of a whole season. So <clears throat> I am I have him here. I have him at number 22. Not not the biggest Marte guy this year, I, I guess you could say. Uh, I don't hate him or anything, but I think there are guys that you could probably take a little bit later who I would prefer. Next up, we have Christian Yelich, and he was the guy that I originally had one spot ahead. <clears throat> but I do think that overall we can trust what we're going to get. Uh, out of Marte, a little bit more than Yelich at this point, which is sad to say. And we talked about Christian Yelich yesterday on the Brewers show uh, that we did with James Anderson. I like I like Christian Yelich, and there is a potential for him to still return, you know, positive value based on where he's being drafted for sure uh, at the 127 mark. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. I still have a tickle in my throat. It comes and it goes. It's really it's, it hasn't been gone in months. So apologies for the odd cough that you guys hear on, on shows here and there. Uh, Christian Yelich, though. He is the 30th outfielder by ADP. I have him at 23 because I do think that that is a little bit too low. Uh, they have him below guys like Taylor Ward, Stephen Kwan, Jake McCarthy, Seiya Suzuki, uh, MJ Melendez. Like, I'm taking Christian Yelich over those guys still. Even though, you know, he might not be what he once was, he's still a very solid fantasy player. Last season was 14 homers. It was 19 steals, 99 runs scored, 57 ribbies, and he batted 252. We're just a couple years removed from Christian Yelich being an MVP and honestly, I think he won the MVP. Or no, it was Bell. Or no, Yelich did win one too. I think I'm mixing up my MVPs. Bellinger won one, and then or maybe it was Yelich almost won two of them in a row. I think that's what it was. Yeah, he won the MVP in 2018, and then he was runner up in 19. We're not seeing those numbers anymore, but we're still seeing you know very solid fantasy production, even though it might not be what we were expecting a couple of years ago. He's still fairly young at 31, although it is crazy that he is 31 years old already. But we're looking at 10 years in uh, to the career for Christian Yelich at this point. I think that the projections are telling a pretty accurate tale here of what we're going to see from him. About 140-some-odd games, 15 to 20 home run range with close to 90 runs, probably 60 to 70 RBIs, and he's going to steal you a decent number of bases, probably in the 15-17 range. As for the batting average probably stays about the same as what we've seen these last couple of seasons in the 250 range. But you also have to remember, there was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years where he was almost a 300 hitter. And even higher than 300 some years. He had, he had 326 and 329 in those MVP and runner-up MVP seasons, respectively. So that's still, it's still, you know, I've used the phrase quite a bit recently, but it's in the range of outcomes. He's a 287 career hitter, despite these last three years having horrible batting averages. So definitely something to consider with Yelich that he could potentially 
easily actually hop back up and as a top 75 player the power is it gone forever I don't know I don't really know if it's gone forever but I think he can still be a 20 home run guy potentially even though these last couple of years have not been so great in the power department 2022 was better than 21 and I would not be shocked if 2023 sees him uh, correct the course even a little bit more so Christian Yelich pretty comfortably there at number 23 for me we're going to talk about another Chicago White Sox here, and that's Andrew Vaughn. And he's somebody that I am pretty big on for the season. Uh, I like him quite a bit. Where is he going based on ADP right now? He's going fairly low, 34th, uh, 34th outfielder off the board. I have him a whole 10 spots ahead there at 24. I like him a lot. I like this lineup, and I like the potential for a rebound this season for the White Sox. I've talked about that quite a bit. Andrew Vaughn's going to be playing his natural position at first base. He'll still carry that outfield eligibility. Uh, he played the outfield, uh, was 45 times in right, 44 times in left last season. Even played second base a couple times. They were playing him all over the place because he was blocked at his natural position at first. That was Jose Abreu's spot. He is gone now, and now it's Andrew Vaughn. And now we could potentially see him really unlock what we you know, thought that he could be capable of for a couple of years now. Uh, just take in for a second. These last couple of years, <clears throat> playing out of position, even just look at 2022. He had 17 homers, 76 ribbies. He batted 271. He's in a very good lineup. And that, you know, if those guys are healthy that we mentioned earlier, Eloy and Lou Bob, Luis Robert, if if they're healthy, and that's a big F, we could see Vaughn really truly explode here, give you somewhere close to 100 RBIs. I really do think that we could be on the verge of a breakout for him. We could see, you know, the home run projections kind of vary, uh, but the, the highest one that they have there is 29. That's the Zips depth charts. It takes the Zips projections, and I believe it throws them into the Fangraphs uh, depth charts to figure out um, what the projections are there because the, the Zips projections I don't think are based on necessarily games played. I'm not, I'm not probably the best person to be explaining that for sure. Um, but they take them, they put them into the depth charts, and based on playing time that they expect or Jason Martinez expects, uh, that's what you're going to be getting out of these guys based on those Zips projections. Probably not the best explanation. There's probably a better one online. But assuming those guys are healthy, Lou Bob and Eloy projected to hit third and fourth. You got Andrew Vaughn, who's currently projected to hit sixth. I think he should bat fifth ahead of Johan Moncada. We could see a hell of a lot of runs batted in from him. We could see close to a 300 batting average with about 20 to 25 home runs from Andrew Vaughn. So I think that having him ranked at 24 is even a little bit conservative. He could be a top 20 outfielder very easily this season. In terms of ADP, 148 for him, first base outfield eligible. Uh, it does feel like a pretty big steal. There are not so many outfielders that we've talked about so far early on who have multi-position eligibility. There's Fernando Tatis in the first round at shortstop and outfield. Then you got Varsho, catcher and outfield. You got MJ Melendez, who we are going to talk about. Is he going to be later today? No, he's actually not going to be later today. He'll be he'll be in the next outfield show. Uh, and then after that, Andrew Vaughn as the 34th guy. He's only the fourth outfielder who has that multi-position eligibility on the NFBC. There's a lot to like, especially at the price, and especially considering some of the guys going ahead of him. You can get a pretty big steal with Andrew Vaughn here. Uh, assuming your draft goes the right way, you get him around 10, uh, roughly in round 10, maybe a little bit later if you're talking a 12-teamer, but I really like the value that we're going to be getting out of him or hopefully we'll be getting out of him this season. So Andrew Vaughn, pretty comfortably for me at 24, and even that's probably a little bit conservative uh, based on based on what I think is going to happen this season. But let's keep it going. This is where there might be some controversy, I guess, depending on who you are and how seriously you take it. Uh, Corbin Carroll. Corbin Carroll is still an unknown player. And we are projecting him to be a superstar. And I think part of it is because we saw last year what happened with a rather 
prominent outfield prospect who came up and set the world on fire, and that's Julio Rodriguez. And we're cautiously maybe looking at Carroll and saying, okay, he could be this guy who gives you, you know, he could be this year's Julio. And it's a pretty easy comp, you know, the best pros- best outfield prospect of last year, the best outfield prospect of this year. I don't think it is that simple necessarily. There are a lot of outfielders in Arizona. If Corbin Carroll sucks, if he shits the bed right when he comes up, or not when he comes up, right when the season starts, let's say he's not hitting, uh, I don't know that he is necessarily secure in that playing time. And when we talked with our buddy, the Welsh, uh, a couple weeks ago, we were doing, and that would be Chris Welsh of In This League, uh, we did a Diamondbacks preview. We talked about this, and he didn't think it would cost him at bats necessarily or playing time, but it would cost him in his lineup spot if he is not producing right out of the gate. And you know, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But we're talking about a guy. Excuse me, there. We're talking about a guy who's played 32 games in the major leagues, and he was good. Um, but you know, we're drafting him already as a top 75 player. His minimum pick just recently uh, was 47. You know, he is going incredibly high. And I don't think he's really earned it yet. Are you really going to trust what he's going to give you over these guys who are going below him? Whoever it is, you know, Teoscar, even Eloy, Starling Marte, George Springer, Brian Reynolds, Tyler O'Neill. I'll take all of those guys over Corbin Carroll while also acknowledging the upside of Carroll is, is ridiculous. He could give you some just stupid seasons uh, like we saw him give you in the minor leagues. He could potentially go out there and give you, you know, what he did in 2022 in the minors which was 16 and 20 with a 313 batting average. And that was in double A, probably not going to translate that quickly, that directly. Uh, but the upside is definitely there for him to be a Julio type guy. I just don't really want to pay for it until he's done it. You know, if you're chasing upside, then he makes sense to take where he's going. Uh, but for me, I tend to be more conservative with my drafts. I don't really take chances at this point. If you are going to take one, it's probably just going to be one chance. Are you going to take a Jacob DeGrom? Are you going to take a Mike Trout? Is it going to be Lou Bob? Is it going to be, you know, one of these unproven guys or roughly unproven guys like an Adley Rutschman or even a Bobby Witt who is more proven, who's going pretty high in drafts, top 10 most of the time? Uh, there are risks that you can take, and, you know, you want to take one of them in your draft, depending on how many drafts you do, of course. Might want to make a team that's just the all-risk team and take DeGrom and Trout and Carroll and, you know, Byron Buxton and Adalberto Mondesi. You could do that. Uh, I try to mitigate that where I can. If you're going to take a risk, if you're going to take an upside play, have it just be one. Uh, don't do a bunch of them. And I think with Corbin Carroll, he falls into the bucket for me of we're, we're expecting, you know, we're, we're projecting based on where he's being drafted that he is going to be just flying out of the gate and just phenomenal. And I, you know, I don't want to doubt that because the skills are there. He's incredibly talented but we haven't seen it yet. They're not lacking for outfielders. He didn't play a lot against lefties last year, which is probably to keep his at-bats down, but he's not the greatest against lefties. Uh, Maybe he doesn't play every single day against them. They have a ton of outfielders. So there are things to be concerned about with Corbin Carroll that do have me ranking him probably lower than most people will have him. That's the 25th outfielder. Some people will think I'm crazy. I just don't really want to buy in at this particular price. You know, if he hits the upside, then it would be a massive smash hit on your investment. Maybe he could be the next Julio, but I want you to show it to me first, and then I'll be willing to pay for it next season. I just can't get around to it this year. And I mean, the thing is, if he does do it this year, then you're not getting him at this price next year. He'll be, you know, assuming he does what Julio did or some version of that, top 20 at worst, you know, probably a first rounder, depending on where you're drafting and whatnot. I just am not there yet. I want you to prove it first. 
let me see you play 140 some odd games and give me that 2020 season with a good batting average and then I'll draft you next year at this draft slot or well like I said not this draft slot probably higher but I'll be willing to pay for it then then at least we can look at it and say okay Corbin Carroll is a 23 and 24 guy he hit 272 these are completely made up numbers um, but if you see him do that for a whole season, then you're a lot more likely to buy in uh, for the following season. As of right now, a little bit too much risk for me. But let's keep it going with number 26. Speaking of risk, Byron Buxton is my number 26 outfielder, another one who is incredibly tricky to rank. He's number 25 based on ADP, actually. We're pretty in line, myself and the early drafters there. I just don't know, again, uh, with Byron Buxton, what we can possibly expect. And the projections, God bless them. Again, Zips, uh, Zips seems to be in line with me more here today with these kind of injury risk guys. They haven't projected for 90 games, which feels very, very proper. There is no crazy, you know, we're expecting 160 games or some nonsense. Like there are projections that are kind of crazy out there for certain players. We talked about them when we went over steamer projections in depth. Uh, Zips a little bit. We didn't go into Zips in so much depth. We did a few teams. But if you look at some of these other projections, the bat and ATC, which I, you know, I said at the top, these are the ones I trust, the ones I use the most. They haven't gone for 120 games. I just would ask, based on what? What can we look at Byron Buxton, and especially over these last couple of years, and say he's going to play 120 games this year? You know, gut instinct, feeling? I, I don't know if you can look at the stats and say, or not the stats, the games played, and say that Byron Buxton is going to go out there and give you anything more than 100 games. 100 games feels like a very positive expectation for Byron Buxton, considering the fact that he has been playing in Major League Baseball since he was 21 years old. That was the 2015 season. Byron Buxton turned 29 years old recently. He has played one season of over 100 games, and it was 140 games. But we are talking about a guy who has been here since 2015, and he's played 585 games. You know, that's, that's really, really rough. That's what we're going to see after this year with Marcus Semien over the last three years. You know, 550 games, 500 and whatever, so much, not maybe a 500, maybe I'm, my math is wrong there. 500, roughly 500 games over three years. Uh, assuming Semien's healthy, it's the first example of a guy who's healthy that I could think of. You're going to see Buxton do that over seven, eight, nine, whatever it is, eight years at this point. I can't get behind him at, at the draft price. Uh, you know, that doesn't change where I feel about him in terms of like the ranking. Uh, I think the ranking in terms of overall outfielders is fine, and I think it's skewed up a little bit because we're looking at the NFBC and five outfielder leagues. I think in a three outfielder league, he's borderline top 150, and I don't think that it's like necessarily you know set in stone that he will be a top 150 pick or should be. Uh, people will look at the name and remember the you know the flashes that we've seen from him over the years. He had 28 home runs this past season in 92 games. They'll see things like that. You know he can still be elite. He's just never out there. He is in that grouping of Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez, specifically closer probably to Luis Robert because of the way they, they run or should be running. Uh, Buxton doesn't even steal anymore. But guys who, if they did play a whole season, their first-round talents, you just can't have that as an expectation. And you might see some people rank Luis Robert in the top 10 or Byron Buxton in the top 15. It just feels unrealistic for me to expect that. If they do it, then they do it. Then fantastic, good on them. And, you know, a serious good on them if they're able to do it. Because I'm not out here hoping that they don't play. I'm out here hoping that everybody plays 162 so we don't have to worry about this bullshit of guys getting hurt and missing half the season. I just can't expect it. I can't go into the year saying, Buxton has given me 
120 games, 35 bombs, stealing 12 bases. Like that's what we're seeing from some of these projections. I just can't, I can't get behind it. Double-digit steals, that's not going to happen. You know, 120 games, not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Uh, and if it does, then I'll, I'll happily eat my words, and I will happily say on a podcast, on Twitter, <clears throat> wherever you guys like, that I was wrong about him and Lou Bob, assuming they do it. I'm just going the more conservative approach with my drafting for the most part. Like I said with Corbin Carroll, you know, if you want to take one risk in your draft, you know, draft a very safe team through the first 100 picks and then go for Byron Buxton and go for that upside, then I can, I can understand why you'd want to do that. Where he's going at 106, sure. In a five outfielder league, if you want to aim for that upside, if you've taken a safe team, then by all means. But if you're filled with guys who are injury prone, who have missed a bunch of time in years past, specifically the last couple of seasons, then I don't think you can be taking Byron Buxton. And I don't think that you really should be, especially, you know, if you have taken those risks, I just can't get behind um, Byron Buxton at pick 106. And there are, you know, like I said, mitigating factors there. Certain situations I would be. But as we enter into the season more, we're going to be looking more at three outfielders, standard Yahoo leagues. That's kind of my bread and butter. In that kind of league, I just can't see Byron Buxton being... You know, I said top 150, probably top 130 would be where I wouldn't want to take him. Anywhere outside of that, then you probably start taking the chance. But as of right now, oh man, I just don't feel good about him. And I'm not going to feel good about him until we actually see him go out there and be healthy for an extended period of time. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about number 27, and that's Nick Castellanos. Another guy that I've pushed up a little bit here. Not crazy. You know, I have him at 27. He's 31 based on ADP. He's coming off of a down year. No question, Castellanos had a down year. But we also have to look at the fact that a lot of people have down years their first season in a new environment. New team, new teammates, new ballpark, new contracts. Everything changed for Nick Castellanos, and he did not have a great year. Almost the same amount of games played as the year before. It was only two fewer games, yet he had 21 fewer homers, almost 40 fewer runs, and 38 fewer RBIs. The batting average came down 40 points. He stole four more bases, but he was no question. He was a disappointment for you this season. When you look at the Phillies and their lineup, and you know, like I said, another year of comfortability with that team, it's hard for me to think that Nick Castellanos is still going to give you those 13 home runs, 50-some-odd runs, 50-some-odd RBIs. We know he's a lot better than that. And in a whole year in this lineup, once he's comfortable there, because you know, I will give guys that break. First year with a new team. We saw with Francisco Lindor, he was a huge value this past season because first year with the new team in a big city, you know, bigger city anyway, uh, he disappointed. And Castellanos going from Cincinnati to somewhere that is a little more focused on uh, in Philadelphia, I, I think it got to him a little bit. I'm not worried at all when you look at this lineup and you look at the potential for him with the counting stats. Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, Reese Hoskins, JT Real Muto batting ahead of him. We're not even mentioning Bryce Harper, who's going to come back mid-season and probably slot in ahead of him still, move him down one spot in the lineup. But then you're just looking at you know countless RBI opportunities for Castellanos. You could really, truly expect 100 RBIs from him. I think that that's not unreasonable at all, and you're not going to see it with the projections. Let me see what the projections have him for. It's not going to be for 100, but I think it's realistic to expect it. The highest one is 84. I think that that's probably about as low as you're going to see from him. We saw him you know, in with... Bad teams in Detroit in a bad ballpark, 101 RBIs. We saw it in Cincinnati, granted, you know, better ballpark, not a great team. I mean, they were better in 21, but they weren't great. 100 RBIs and a good team, for batting for a good team in the middle of that lineup with the all-star Hall of Fame talent that is ahead of him. 
no question that I could see him having a really big bounce back season. And the more I look at it, the more I want to push him up in these rankings. I think he should probably be ahead of Byron Buxton. Uh, the more I look at it, I, I think I am going to put him at 26 and Buxton 27. I feel a lot safer about the potential for Castellanos going out there, first of all, playing the games because he's always been somebody. And again, past health is not a predictor of future health. But when you're looking at the course of his career, 148, 154, 110, 157, 157, 151. He played 60 out of 60 games in 2020 in the last two years, 138 and 136. He's a durable dude. He's out there pretty consistently playing every single day. These last couple of years, he's missed a little bit of time. It shouldn't affect him too much, especially now with the DH in the National League for the second year. Uh, he played a DH 12 times last season. It'll keep him on the field more as he enters into his 30s. And I don't see there being much reason to be fading Nick Castellanos this year. You're getting him at a discount. Great team. Great buyback opportunity on him. And honestly, I think I am going to move him up even farther in the rankings. Just by one spot, I think. Uh, but he'll go uh, supplant Byron Buxton at 26. But let's keep it going now with number 28. Another guy who is pretty tricky to rank. And there's pretty much every single player is tricky to rank because that's just the nature of rankings, I guess. Uh, my first year doing rankings, they are they are tricky. Especially with outfield, there are so many great outfielders. You're looking at these and you're thinking you're getting into the 30s and 40s. And you're thinking, okay, there's still some guys that I like here. And there's not a lot of positions like that. It is tricky to forecast. But my number 28 outfielder is Taylor Ward. We saw him break out last season. And it was, I mean, I guess how you, I guess it's really depends on how you want to look at it. Some people think he broke out, and I think he broke out, but there's also some people who are not really in that camp because of the inconsistency that we saw from him. It was like three separate seasons we saw at a Taylor Ward. He started off stupid hot. He batted 392 in April, 314 in May, and then in June, really started to come down. It was 256. July was 190. August, he batted 222. Ended the season batting 345, and it ended up being... You know, 68 games in the first half, 67 games in the second half, a 286 batting average and a 275 batting average when you split the you know the parts of the season in half there. Still very much serviceable, uh, very much serviceable. I can't find my proper words today. You know, as an English major, as a journalism student, I should really be able to speak better, the, speak more well, speak better. Uh, we're just going off the rails here in terms of my uh, vocal mumbo-jumbo here. But Taylor Ward, I think... I think he's pretty solid value. A lot of people are talking about him as being some huge sleeper, which he's not, first of all. He's going to pick 120. That's not really sleeper range, first of all. Uh, maybe in terms of outfielders, you want to say you should be going higher. You can, I guess. I have him one spot ahead of ADP, 28 versus 29. I think it is, he's perfectly reasonably priced, considering what you're probably going to see and the, and the risk that you absorb by drafting Angels. You know, there's a chance... And I don't even want to put this in the air, but I'm not the first person who's put it out there. That, you know, Otani gets injured. Otani could very easily get injured based on the fact that he pitches and he plays. I mean, he doesn't play the field, but he hits. He goes through batting practice. He's out there at the plate. He could get hit by a pitch. There is risk when he is out there on the mound, of course, which is you know multiplied multiple times by his risk as a hitter. Uh, there's that. There's Anthony Rendon, who is literally like... You know, we have to be careful not to breathe on him too hard. He might get hurt because, you know, as much as I love him, he's dealt, he's dealt with some injuries himself these last couple of seasons. Mike Trout with his back, with his chronic back. Jared Walsh in the thoracic outlet. I, there is a lot of unknowns in this lineup, and Taylor Ward could potentially be a 30 home run, 100 run scores, 100 runs scored, you know, 10 steals, bat close to 300. Or we could see, you know, 16 homers, 72 runs, uh, you know, 
60, 60 something RBIs, like last year's numbers, or even a little bit worse. Um, but I, he's just very tricky because of the team around him. You know, the Angels could, if the Angels are healthy, if everybody is healthy on that team for the whole season, they could be ridiculously good. And I don't think the rotation is that good. I think the rotation is okay once you get beyond Otani. Uh, Patrick Sandoval, Reed Detmers is okay. Uh, I think it's mostly the lineup that will carry them. And, I mean, in terms of real baseball, it's more of a problem than for fantasy here. If these guys in the lineup are healthy, then we could see a very good season. It's just a matter of I think a lot of his value does come from the guys around him. The power himself, it's good. We saw 23 home runs this year. But at the same time, you know, we saw 65 games the year prior, eight home runs. Uh, you know, in his career, based on the games he had played, and if you're prorating it, he had never really been on this kind of pace before. So there is a chance that maybe he takes a bit of a step back. He was a bit of a late bloomer. He's already 29 years old, Taylor Ward. He's not like, you know, some raw prospect. There is some risk, but I do think that he is, like I said off the top with him, pretty reasonably priced, and you can probably expect similar numbers to last year. If everybody's healthy, then you can see him skyrocket from last year and add 15 runs, 15 ribbies, you know, probably a couple of steals based on the new rules as well. He's one of those guys where he's going to steal a few bases regardless, probably turning five or six of them into seven or eight of them. Not one of those massive jumps. I don't think we're going to see massive jumps really anywhere, but somebody who has a little bit of speed, steal you a couple bases, probably steal you a couple more uh, next season considering the rule changes. So I like Taylor Ward. I like him at the price. I wouldn't be jumping him up too much or, you know, pushing him back too far. I think he, he is pretty reasonable here as a 29th outfielder off the board. I have him at 28, but he is going at 29. In terms of who I have at 29, it's Chris Bryant. And, I, you know, first of all, I've said this before, it's weird to have Chris Bryant in an outfield rankings context because he's always just been a third baseman my whole career until these last, I guess it was, was it last season? I guess maybe the year before he started playing more outfield. He was more of like a utility guy, I guess, these last couple of seasons playing some outfield, some infield, but... Now his only eligibility is outfield. It does feel kind of strange. Um, but that's where we are with Chris Bryant. In terms of his production, again, if we're looking at last year and you're saying, okay, he's going to do something similar last year. If that's what your mindset is, then it's probably not going to be great because he played 42 games. He only hit five home runs. And I'm going to go back and check it. But I don't believe he had a single home run at Coors Field. Let's take a look. Home games. Um... Oh, they're showing me the career numbers here now. No, 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 no. We just want to look at 2022. And Chris Bryant had zero home runs at Coors Field, only over 26 games. But definitely not something that makes you feel all warm and fuzzy in the stomach when looking at a guy like Chris Bryant. You think, okay, Coors Field, he's already been a 25-30 home run guy. He's going 35 this year. That's what a lot of people were thinking. The price went up quite a bit once he signed in Colorado. I don't know. I don't know if it should have that much, but, you know... It's not really his fault, the fact that he didn't perform so much last season. First of all, he played 42 games. The power, it sucks, but I don't think that's a sticky thing where you can say, okay, Chris Bryant, you know, he's not going to hit in Coors now. He's signed a Coors for the rest of his career, and he's just going to be a, you know, a 5-12 home run guy somewhere in that range. It's not going to happen. Over the course of a full season in Coors, we should very easily see at minimum 20 home runs from Chris Bryant. Last year, he hit 306. You know, he wasn't on the court, on the court, uh, doing basketball stuff as well, forgive me. He wasn't on the field as much as we probably wanted him to be, but he still batted 306 in 42 games. You know, if you do prorate that 42 games, multiply it by four, that's essentially a whole season. You're looking at 20 dingers. 
you're looking at, you know, the runs and RBIs were not great, but, you know, you multiply it by four still, and you're looking at, you know, 100 runs. You're looking at, you know, 70-ish RBIs, 60-something RBIs, or actually, no, about, uh, yeah, about 60 RBIs and about 100 runs. You can't really do it like that. You can't just take the games played and multiply multiply it so that, you know, whatever you're closest to, or so that the closest number gets you to 160 or something like that. Like, it's not really how it works. But with a guy like Chris Bryant, who has been healthy for the vast majority of his career, multiple times playing over 150 and other times playing over 140 as well, I think you can look at it as another guy you can buy back in at a pretty reasonable price. And another guy where I'm looking at him and I almost want to push him up a little bit more in my rankings, maybe just one or two spots. But I think that there's an, like with him and Castellanos, they're going to be on a lot of my teams because the price is so appealing, because they're generally a lot more expensive, and because I don't think one year really changes I mean, it depends on the player, but for these specific players, I don't think it changes the overall outlook of their careers and in terms of who they are. You're still looking at 30 home run guys, roughly, maybe you know between 25 and 35 home run guys who had down seasons, first year in new locations, who are very likely to bounce back and who are cheaper than they have been in some time. I don't know if Chris Bryant's ever been this cheap. Uh, 135, Castellanos at 130. It's definitely been some years since we've seen Castellanos going this low in drafts. So I think both of these guys do make very strong cases to be you know, bought back in on after a down season last year. I'm a big fan of both of them, and specifically with Chris Bryant in Colorado there. He's going to pick 134. Not a lot of talk about him at all that I've heard this offseason. Uh, people have kind of written him off in the community, and that's fine. Let them do that. I'm going to take all the Chris Bryant shares that I can once we really, truly get going uh, with drafts, once March starts. Once March starts... All bets are off for the amount of drafts that I'm going to do here. There's going to be a lot of draft content, so I hope you guys are ready for that uh, once we do get to March. But we have one more outfielder to talk about today to get us to number 30, and I believe I'm going to pronounce it right, but I, I could very well be wrong. Masataka Yoshida. And I'm pretty sure I got that right. It looks like a fairly phonetic name. Uh, the little guy, and I said the little guy because he's five foot eight, 176. He should do some pretty solid things for us this season. Now, of course, once somebody comes over from another country, you kind of don't really know what they're going to give you, how their game is going to translate to a different country. But at the same time, uh, I think we can look at him and be pretty optimistic about what we're going to get. The projections love him. And the projections love him over 120 games. They're calling for 19. Okay, let's look at ATC because I've been bouncing around different projections today a little bit. Let's look at ATC because they are the most conservative on him. They're calling for 15 homers, 66 runs, 62 RBIs, and three steals with a 286 batting average, and that's only over 120 games. And I'm not really sure why the projections for games are so low. I'm just pulling up his stats from the Japanese league. I guess he was typically playing closer to 160 games, or excuse me, 120 games there these last couple of seasons. Um, 120, 110, 120, 143, and 143, though, if you go back to 2018 and 2019. So I don't think it's crazy to expect him to beat those games played projections. And if he does, I mean, imagine you take those projections over 120 games and you add a third to them because that's pretty much what it is. Like, let's say, for the sake of argument, he doesn't miss a game, which is very hard to expect. But let's just say for this exercise he doesn't. You add a third onto all of his stats. You're talking about like 20-plus homers, you're talking probably five or six steals, 80 runs, 80 RBIs, and that batting average will stay the same in the 280 range. There's a chance for him to be a huge steal. And he's the guy that I've pushed up quite a bit. I mean, I need to probably filter out these uh, rankings 
or filter out this ADP. Let's go from just February and see where he is going in terms of outfielders because it's probably gone up a little bit, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, it has gone up a little bit. It's still not like crazy high. Uh, where is he? 53rd. He's going as the 53rd outfielder right now in drafts. And I was going from January onward before. I changed the filter. Now we're just looking at February and these nine drafts in February. His ADP is 222. He is the 53rd outfielder off the board. I did not realize he was that farther, far down. I've got him 20 plus spots ahead of the ADP. And I'm I even thinking that that might be a little bit too low. I think people are truly sleeping on. Like, if you are in a three outfielder league and you build your outfield out of Castellanos, Bryant, and Yoshida, you can make so many great moves earlier in the draft to secure second and third and closer and catcher and really build yourself a fantastic team. With specifically talking the outfield here, with guys who you are not going to have to pay up for, especially in your shallower leagues. These guys are going to, especially like Yoshida, if you're talking Yahoo, ESPN leagues, fan tracks, home league type leagues, where you're talking, you know, relatively low entry fees, probably you're playing with your friends or whatever it is, or maybe it's a high entry fee, whatever it is. Um, these guys, and Yoshida is an unknown. Like we know about him here, people who do podcasts, people who write about the sport and follow it very closely because, you know, he was a hot new toy who came in this year from a different country. We're going to pay attention to him. But I don't think a lot of the average players of fantasy baseball necessarily do know who he is or will want to take advantage of him because partly he is unknown and also because he's playing for a team that's gotten progressively worse the last couple of years. I don't really see people being that excited about him necessarily. But based on the skill set that we have seen in Japan, and again, it doesn't necessarily translate one for one, and most of the times it doesn't, but he's walking quite a bit more than he's striking out these last couple of seasons, or specifically last season. Like, he walked 82 times and struck out 42 times. He had a 336 batting average and a 449 on base. Like, his career in the, uh, in the NP, NPB, uh, 326 batting average and a 419 on base percentage. Like, even if he's, you know, 80% of that, 70% of that, you're still looking at, like, a 270, 280 hitter who's going to give you decent power, Pretty decent counting stats, you have to think, even though I don't think that lineup is going to be great. I think they'll be all right. And I think him batting, I think he's projected to bat close to the top of it. Let me just pull up roster resource for Boston here. He's projected to lead off right now. I mean, there's crazy value to be had on Yoshida outside of the top 50 outfielders. I would be taking him there every single time when he comes up. And I'm not usually one to say that kind of thing. Diversify your pool is what I like to do, specifically in multiple drafts. You don't get bogged down if you have too many shares of one player and they get hurt or they suck. But at this price, with this upside, Yoshida needs to be drafted. Past pick 200, there is no reason not to take him. When you're looking at the guys going around him, you know, Riley Green is going above him. I understand there's hype around him still, but Joey Manessis, who, oh my God, I've gone on and on about Joey Manessis this offseason. He's not good. He's not good. He's not good. He's not good. <laughs> I said it four times there. Remember that. Joey Manessis is not going to be good this season. There's no reason for him at all to be going 25 picks ahead of Yoshida. There's no reason whatsoever. There's just there's a couple other guys, too, that we could talk about, like Mitch Hanniger, uh, Ian Happ, Giancarlo Stanton going 50 picks ahead of him, Anthony Santander going almost 100 picks ahead of him. I don't get it. We're going to talk about those guys on, t- on not tomorrow's show, on Friday's show. 
But I just I can't see the argument to be made for for leaving him this late in terms of just outfielder rankings or even in terms of overall price at 222 minimum pick of 201 maximum 238 over these last nine drafts you're getting an absolute steal I'd be taking him literally every single draft if that blows up in my face it does but at this price uh, I just can't say no and I'm going to be taking him wherever I can. But guys, that will do it for us for today, for me for today, coming at you solo. Uh, we've been doing a lot of guest shows recently. It is a bit different when you go back to you know, not having a guest to doing a whole guest. Maybe that's why, uh, or from having a guest to not having a guest, it's kind of you know changed the dynamic here, not doing the show live. Uh, maybe there's something in my head about you know not having somebody to toss the, the conversation off to. And maybe that's partly also why uh, my throat has suffered a little bit here today. So I appreciate you guys sticking with me through a couple of the coughs and a couple of sips of water there. Um, greatly appreciated your support. This month has been, again, the biggest month of the show. After last month was our biggest month of the show. Uh, last week was our biggest week. We're hoping to just keep doing that every single week. That would be fantastic. But all your support truly means the world to me. You guys can keep supporting by going follow Ethos Fantasy BB. That's all I ask of you today. I mean, you can go leave a rating and review if you, if you, if you wish, and we really appreciate that. But please go follow Ethos Fantasy BB. Our new writers are going to be introduced there with their new pieces. Please give them a follow. We were talking about some people with bigger, slightly bigger accounts, some people who have literally pretty much just started their accounts in this endeavor, which is what I did last year. I had zero followers when this whole thing started. We're closing in on the 3,000 mark for me, and I really, truly appreciate all of you guys who have hit the follow button. But go follow Ethos Fantasy BB. If you follow me, if you like what I'm doing, even if you don't, there's a ton of other writers that are going to be producing content, so maybe you'll like some of their stuff if you don't. But if you're listening to this show, I have to assume you do like what you are hearing, and for that, I appreciate you. We'll be back here tomorrow night with Carlos Marcano. We're going to be talking Oakland A's. Bring your beverages, folks. We're probably going to need a drink or two to talk about the athletics. But until then, take care, everybody. Good night and cheers. Cheers.